Welcome to Longview Baptist Church. Where will you spend your eternity? This is a question that does have an answer, even if you don't know what it is. I am Pastor John. This ministry is designed to prepare you for that day we will all face, our last. Join us as we find an answer to the tough questions. And remember, you cannot truly live until you're truly ready to die. Luke chapter 15. We're going to look this morning at verses 11 through 32 of a story many of you know, but it's a Father's Day message. It's titled, The Faithful Father. We're going to look at three things today, Dad, that I'm going to challenge you. And Mom, likewise the same as I always say at Mother's Day. I'm encouraging the dads in the very same things because many of the things that God has called us to be, we all have to be steadfast in. And the qualities of a godly father today, I think, really are as important as ever. Remember, I'm the generation that the undermining of the role of the father began. I remember when Bart Simpson, uh, The Simpsons came out. Uh, I remember when Family Guy came out and all these shows that began to try to undermine the role of a father. Uh, You look at uh, history before really the 70s, really the mid-70s. If you looked at all of the family shows, what did they all revolve around? The family. They're all family related. And mom, what was mom doing? She was doing things at home. She was cooking. She was taking care of the kids' needs and doing all of these things in anticipation for the arrival of death. At the end of the day, when the kids came home and what they would do is greet him out the door. And this was, this was history. This was our, our culture. Everybody was excited. Dad was home. And they spent time together in the evening as a family. They did this really weird thing. We do it in our house, but a lot of people don't do it. Uh, It's called a communal dinner. Your whole family, your community in your home all ate together at the same table at the same time. Can you believe that? We do that every night at 5 o'clock at 211 Richmond Cemetery. And we eat breakfast at 6.15 in the morning unless we have to make it a little earlier for some other reason. That is something that you can do to help the cohesion, meaning the, the oneness of your family. Uh, do this. Don't allow any phones and tablets at your table. Don't do what I watched happen. I remember in the late 70s seeing it more prolifically. And as a matter of fact, a, a modern movie in the 80s that showed this, that really showed how this became prevalent. On Back to the Future, remember when they went back? What did the dad do when they were getting ready to play the new um, episode of The Honeymooners? Wasn't it? What did they do with the TV? Stuck it right at the end of the kitchen table. So as they ate dinner, they were looking at the TV, not engaging in any conversation or having any kind of fellowship together. What does that do? It fractures. What does fracturing do? Fracturing of the family means that you don't have anything in common anymore. Nobody knows what anybody else is going through, so that fracturing divides divides. So Brother Jonathan, are you telling me that TV was instrumental in dividing the family? Absolutely. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that it was a distractor that the enemy beautifully has used to divide and in many cases to entertain kids so that parents didn't have to be parents. Yes, I don't think it's a good thing. There are good things. If you're like I was at home for four years and you watch Modern Marvels and how it's made, you can sit around and have a whole lot of useless information. You want to sit down? I can talk to you for days. I can tell you how the Hoover Dam was built. I can tell you how the Empire State was built. I can tell you just about anything about anything. 
because of shows like that. So there is a value in those for educational learning experience, but at the same time, it is proper to do it in the proper context and not allow it to be. But see, faithful fathers have to recognize danger. Men, one of the things that God has created us to be is the shepherd of the home, okay? What does a shepherd do? A shepherd is consistently and continually scanning for dangers. Now, a lot of times, a dad may see a danger that mom might not see. Why would dad see something like that? Because God has put a protector, a shepherd mindset and heart that is there that sees dangers and perceives things that a lot of times others don't see. Do you think that those sheep perceive the danger that shepherds see? No. Those sheep are just hanging out doing their thing. But that shepherd recognizes those dangers and puts up protective mechanisms to protect the sheep that he loves the sheep that he shepherds. And therefore, fellas, it's the same thing with us. Doesn't have anything to do with dictatorship and what I say goes mindset. It's not about control. It is about the shepherding, the protection, and seeking the best for the flock, for the body, for the people that God has entrusted you with. They're all on loan. We don't have a family. They are God's that he has given us for a short time. They are his. Why do I know this? Because if you look at the new order of things in eternity, what family are you going to have? The old order of things will have passed away. We're not going to be in a familial relationship in the context of what we have now. We are not going to give and be given in marriage in the, is what the Bible says, doesn't it? So it's going to be a whole different order of things. So what we know about this structure right now is this is temporal until the day that we breathe our dying breath we're married in eternity. Yeah, we're all going to be married to the what? The bridegroom. We're the bride of Christ. Amen. Yes, we are going to be. We are going to be the bride for Christ Jesus. That's an exciting thing. But we're not going to be in the structure in the earthly sense that we have right now. So we're going to look at things this morning that a faithful father can do. And things maybe this morning that you might say, you know, I'm not really doing that. And you can get these three things, and there are many others, but for time's sake, we can only cover three today. I pray that this encourages you, though, and that you are able to recognize where you are versus where you should be. Maybe God will just encourage you today where you're at. You're doing exactly what God's Word calls. You are, are stepping up to the challenge. You are the man that God has called you to. And I pray that everyone here, whether God convicts you today, you have to repent and get in line with God's desire that each one of us leaves here changed today, whether it's being challenged and encouraged to a greater level of commitment, whether it is, God, I thank you for this family you've blessed me with. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be, but God, keep me ever vigilant for the deception and the tricks the enemy wants nothing more than to use to, to steal, kill, and destroy in my family. I hope you found uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. And if you're able physically, let's stand out of reverence this morning for the reading of God's word. A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together, went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went, he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. 
And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up, go to my father, and he and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against in heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up, he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, quickly, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead. He has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He summoned one of the servants and began inquiring of, about what things this could be. He said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to the father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you. I have never neglected a command of yours, and yet you've never given me a young goat so that I may celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you've always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. Father, thank you, Lord, this morning for the privilege, God, of being a part of the body of Christ. Lord, a privilege of being able to read your word. God, we pray today, Lord, that you would hedge this grounds with your protective angels, purge anything that would distract would do anything other than give us the ability to hear all that you have commanded, you've called, and what you want to do today in our hearts and our lives. Father, I pray as the media ministry, Lord, this message streams over the airwaves. God, give ears to hear. Take the blinders off, Father, so that your spirit might speak to hearts as only you can. Father, I pray if there's one that does not know you as Lord and Savior, God, today they may come through the Spirit, helping them know that they're a sinner in need of a Savior to saving faith in Jesus Christ as they place their faith and trust in you and repent of their sin. God, I thank you so much for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for the sacrifice Jesus made on our behalf. We realize there's nothing that we could have ever done to restore fellowship with you that was broken in the garden through sin. But God, through your grace and your mercy, Jesus paid it all, and all to him we owe. We commit this to you. We ask all of it in the precious name above our null name, our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I, I love this story. The prodigal son story to me has always been a powerful story. You can look at it from the perspective of the son that was the prodigal. And then when you see the father, by the way, he would have been an elder. He would have been a very revered man in his community. So when, when you read the context of that story and you see the father who sees the son a long way off, back then they didn't wear jeans and a shirt. They didn't wear shorts and a t-shirt or anything else in combination. They would have had robes back then. 
So if you can imagine a man of this stature as an elder, running would have been something that was out of the question due to your dignity. So in order for a man to run back then, he would have had to lift up his robe. By the way, to see your legs back then, especially as a man, was a disgraceful thing. It didn't happen. So to watch the love that this man and the absolute, there would have been all the servants, there would have been people in the community, everyone would have seen this. For him to do that shows the rejoicing, the level of love, and the lack for no one in what they thought. It did not matter to him at all because this son, who I know he had prayed fervently for, had trusted God, was coming home. And that father did not care to embarrass and shame himself to welcome this child who was coming back. So you can look at it from that perspective, but then you also can look at it in a whole nother message in the second half of this part in the way this brother acts. Think about that. You've got this brother who's done everything he's supposed to do. He's done everything dad ever asked for. You've got this misfit prodigal who has wasted and squandered all of this money, this inheritance on nothing. We know what it says in there that he did. And you mean just because this kid comes back and says he's sorry for what he did, you kill the fattened calf and throw a feast and here I've been here the whole time and you've never done anything for me? What it can also do, think about this. Anybody ever heard, I've actually seen it genuinely happen where somebody professes faith in Jesus Christ on their deathbed. I'm not talking about a get out of hell free card. We realize I'm at the end of the rope. I don't want to die and go to hell, so I'm going to pray and get my fire insurance before I head out. No, I'm talking about people that have genuinely come to faith in Christ literally sometimes days before they die. Well, maybe you haven't been even serving the Lord. Maybe you've served the Lord a lot longer than I have. It'd be real easy to go, Lord, he's going to get the same inheritance in heaven I do? That's not fair. We know that Scripture speaks to that, doesn't it? God can do whatever he wants with anything, amen? And what happens, though, when we get that mindset, it actually shows more about us than them. It shows our jealousy and our belief system that God's not fair. You mean, God, I denied myself all of what? Drinking drugs, the, the death of the world, this foolishness that destroys you, destroys your mind, destroys your conscience, destroys every, your testimony, anything about you. We're going to be jealous that somebody got to plunge themselves into a flood of dissipation and destroy their physical temple and we, we missed out on something? I don't miss, I've not missed out on anything since Jesus saved me. Amen? I have not woke up on a Saturday morning and go, you know, I just really wish that I had a hangover today and I felt like vomiting all morning long with a horrible headache. I'm just so sad that I can't do that anymore. I've never once done that. As a matter of fact, I can't even count the number of times I've woken up on a Saturday and said, God, thank you for clarity of mind and thought today. God, thank you that I'm not throwing my life away and the ability to be present with my family because of being intoxicated or be under the influence of something. God, thank you. Thank you for redeeming me from the person that I was and giving me a passion for life because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You allow me to live now. God, thank you for taking the blinders off my eyes so that I didn't think that the old last night or what I said. And maybe somebody might have heard what I probably said under the influence of something and maybe said something that was very hurtful and I don't have to worry about something coming home to roost. It's a blessing, isn't it? 
So don't look at this as some can do sometimes and look at that neighbor of yours that's out there living like the devil and be jealous of them getting their heaven now. Don't ever be jealous of somebody who's getting the only heaven they'll ever get apart from them coming to faith in Jesus Christ. I hope your prayer is, God, I pray, Lord, that you'd help them understand the delusion that they're under, the deception that they're under, Lord, is right now they're getting the only heaven they will ever get. And I don't care who you are, the best day on earth is not an ounce, in the, it's not even a drop, it's not even a grain of sand in a dump truck the size of the Atlantic Ocean. One good day here is not even a, a grain of sand that would fill up the ocean with what one day an attorney is going to be like. Therefore, those people who get that momentary pleasure, fleeting pleasures of the flesh that the world, that, that, that the Bible talks about, those are momentary, they are fleeting, and they pale in comparison to the glory of being in the presence of the God of all creation. So now as we get into this, the first thing that I want to share with you this morning, guys, godly men are patient. This dad did not react with anger when the son was talking foolishly the second part of this story. Godly men are patient. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. Ready? Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with truth. It always protects, trusts, hopes, and always perseveres. Anybody in here need more patience? I'll put my, my two feet up there, right? Patience is not easy, is it? Especially when people are being foolish. When they're behaving in ways that are not appropriate. It's easy to get angered. Does that mean that as a Christian father, we should never be angry? No, 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 no. The Bible doesn't say that. People think, oh, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't get angry. Whoa, 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 whoa. You just took a bunch out of context. Ready? The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Hear that? We'll take another one of these misnomers, right? Money is the root of all evil. No, love of money is. The same way that anger is not bad. Acting out on that anger. Do not sin in that anger. You know who got really angry in the Bible? Jesus did. Remember when they turned a temple into a money changers had basically desecrated the temple. They had turned it into a, a casino in essence. They were selling and trading and buying. They brought disgrace on the father's house. Jesus got mad. He got so mad he acted out. Did he do something wrong? Absolutely not. He had to avenge the father in a biblical way, which he did, this is not going to be a den of robbers. And he was clear in what he did. So church, remember, anger is not a bad thing, especially when it's a righteous anger. But in that anger, do not sin. You know that you can be angry and patient. Takes much training, amen, and much prayer. Nothing easy about it, but you can be. Maybe this morning you need more patience and you can do like myself and pray that God would help you be patient and if you are angry ever, that you would not sin in your anger, that it would be a godly and a righteous anger that is gonna honor, glorify, 
and lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Not an easy thing, though, is it? That's right. Amen. Second thing I want to share with you this morning, men, ready? Godly men pray and rest in God's promises. And you can also say rest on God's promises. When this son left, all God could do was affirm the promises to this father, but all the father could do is trust in the promises of God. This man knew the Lord. We clearly see that in his life. But what he had to do was completely, without question, pray and rest in God's promises. Listen to this. What promises do we have? Proverbs 22, 6, men, train a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they will not depart from it. That's one promise we know. What happens when you raise that child and they're a prodigal? They take off. Let them go. You've got to let them go. If they want to tell you to take a short, uh, long walk off a short pier because they don't want to live according to the truth and righteousness and godliness, sometimes they have to take that walk themselves. How many parents, though, battle with, well, I'll keep them here close where I can keep them alive. You'll kill them quicker. Matter of fact, not only will you kill them, you'll dig their grave. You will prep it. You will make sure that they end up in that grave. You want to live like that? Go. I love you more than anything, and that's why I'm letting you go, because I will not be a part of your addiction or whatever it is that they're engaging in that time. And this is what this father had to do. He had to trust what God's word said. He had to trust the promises of God. God's truth is always the truth. It will transcend time. It is always the truth that comes back and does 100% what it promises. And therefore, hey, we have New Testament. What do we do then? If you have to let that child go, how can you do that? What do you do right now at this time in history? I got one for you. Ready? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all your cares, your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Well, I just can't imagine if I don't have them here, what happens if, oh, you're God? You think that you can protect your wayward, rebellious, bullheaded, stubborn child that is completely at odds and at enmity with the God of creation? You think you can keep him alive? Listen to what you're saying or you're thinking. If you've never voiced it, I'll speak it for you. You really think that you can put yourself in the place of God and keep that child alive? Good luck. And I don't believe in luck. But I promise you, a Christian can put a child on the ground faster than anybody else can. Through your adult defiance of what God commands us to do. It demands and commands us to follow the pattern that Scripture lays out. So either we're going to trust God or we're going to justify believing that we can do something that's going to end up good. My question is, how many times has a godly parent prevented the restoration, the come home meeting, because that parents were not willing to trust God and do what Scripture said? How many parents that I've heard, ready, confess believers that say, well, I don't, I don't believe in I don't, believe in the, the, I don't believe in rod. I don't believe in spanking. I just don't believe in it. Oh, you don't have to. I will promise you the ramifications of your decision will, will reverberate through all time. Because what you're saying is that you can defy what God's word commands you to do 
and that you will bear no implications or consequences for it. I just tell you, if that's you, don't tell me. I don't want to know about it. That's between you and God. But I promise you, the end of this thing will not look pretty. Why do I know this? Because I know that I believe everything that's in God's word this morning. Because if not, I'd go out those doors and you'd never see me again. I have to believe all of it because if God can't give me an untainted word, his word, and pass it on to us, then he's not God. And therefore, I know what God's word says is true, and I absolutely lock, stock, and barrel. I adhere and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's life and every word in that. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt whether I understand it, whether these times that I don't understand why God's doing what he does, every time that I've trusted him, he has always proved faithful. So therefore, when I can trust God tomorrow, it's not based on, well, I don't have any other option. No, it's because I look at what God's done yesterday and all through my life after I gave my life to Christ. And you know what I've always watched? God consistently and persistently be faithful to every single promise of his word to me. And I know that when I step out in faith at those times that I have to trust him, when I don't like what God commands me to do, just because I don't like it does not mean that it's not true. There's times when I've had to trust God and do things that I was literally like a three-year-old child myself mentally with and gone, God, I don't want to do this. I don't like this. I don't want to be a part of this. But you know what? God has faithfully every single time showed himself true, showed himself faithful. And I think about this in the context of Samson's parents. Samson's parents should have never been a part of getting that woman when he says, get her for me, I want her. They're like, can't you, don't, don't you want a wife from your people here? It was God loving woman. No, no, get her for me. I'm Samson's parents. Biblically, what should you have done? I'm not be a part of this. You can go pound dirt. I will not be a part of something that is completely anti everything that we believe as a people that follow God. Remember, these weren't New Testament times, so they are following God in the human context of not having the spirit to enable them at that point to live and make decisions based on the leadership of the Spirit. But they knew categorically that it was wrong. And we have to make these decisions. And godly men, they pray and they rest in God's promises because they know that God is ever faithful. God is faithful yesterday. He's faithful right now. And his promise is that he'll be faithful tomorrow. So if you have a child that comes in your home and that child is of age to be able to go and they say, I'm going to do what I want to do and you're going to like it. Oh, I don't, want them to, I don't want something to happen to them, so I'm going to let them live here. And even though I don't agree with it, and I'll let them choose to come to church. At the, oh, really? You come in the church if you're living in my house. Amen? You're going to come, or you can move out. Nobody's holding you here. There's no hostages at my house. You don't want to come to church? That's not a problem. You can do what honeybees do. You can swarm. You, yourself, and you can get in your nice little car and you can go somewhere else and find out where that bed of roses is really at. But it's not going to be at 211 in Petersburg. Not going to have anything to do with it. Because I know that God can't bless that. God's not going to honor it. And I know that the demonstration that sends to the rest of them is, you can do whatever you want in here and get away. No. I want a house that to the greatest degree that I have any ability to be a part of I want a home and an atmosphere that glorifies and honors Christ. Is it easy? Nope. Is it exciting and fun all the time? No. Sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes later you'll be the, the odd man out because maybe others didn't see that danger that you saw. 
But you know what? They always come around if you're faithful to truth and God will affirm that. And sometimes God wants to see, are you going to be faithful? Are you going to start, as somebody was mentioning this morning, fashioning golden calves, right? Oh, it's a miracle. We just threw it in the fire and out jumped the calf, as Aaron said. No, own it. You want to make a bad decision, own it. Don't blame it on somebody else. Don't blame it because, oh, I was scared they were going to hurt me, so uh, I just let them keep living in the house. No, get them out, call the police. I can assure you, Bedford County will come out there and give them a set of bracelets and drag them out of your home if someone decides that they want to threaten you and intimidate you because you don't want them living like the world in your home, and they're going to threaten, no, 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 no. You can send them right down there to their first night at the Crossbar Motel because they're not going to act like that, and they're not going to hold you a prisoner because you want to do the right thing and, and be a lover and a liver of truth. But you have to make distinction. You have to make a concerted effort to stand firm on that and not be wavering in your desire to love and to live for truth. So point three, let me share this. Ready? Godly men welcome repentance. We see this in the story with the prodigal son's father. What was the prodigal son's father dreaming of? What do you think he thought about every day? What was the hope for his son in his mind? That, that the son would come to his senses. My question, what do you think would have happened if the dad would have kept him at home, allowed him to indulge in this wild living right in his hometown? Can you imagine what the community, I'm not even talking about the foolish gossip. I'm talking about what they would have had, the evidence. This is no leader. This is no God-loving man that loves God, loves Jehovah, and wants to honor him. No, this is a man who is oil and water together. This is a conundrum in and of himself. This man realized that it's not just the actions of the son at stake, but it was the testimony of God in the very community with which they lived. But that dad, because he did love the Lord, his desire was for that son to come to repentance, to come to the knowledge of truth. You realize how quickly that happened? Because the dad was willing to allow him to go, willing to do the right thing and say, I will not be a part of your sin. Look what God could do. But look what dad would have... He would never have been, what, starving? He never would have been eating the pigs at dad's house, would he? He never would have felt the hopelessness of having nowhere to turn. See the reason that it's so important to follow God's word? Because sadly, well-meaning, and I'm just saying this, well-meaning parents make what would be a very uncomfortable position that makes someone step back and do an introspective look looking at your heart, when parents keep kids comfortable, they never get to that place. There was one example, I remember uh, it was a documentary on them because I used to watch a lot of documentaries when I was policing because it was very interesting to me to understand it and how to help people. But there was a mother in Baltimore whose daughter was a needle doper. Uh, she was uh, using heroin. And uh, the daughter was going into inner city Baltimore. Now I'm gonna just tell you, at no point in the last 30, 40 years has Baltimore inner city been a safe place. It is a, and the daughter was like 17 or 18 years old. She was young, very beautiful. So mom didn't want daughter having to go to these flop houses to buy that stuff. So because mom cared so much about her daughter, 
she'd go to the flop house herself and buy the drugs for the daughter. So what ended up happening? Daughter overdosed in her own home. Mom dug the hole and put her in it. How hard would it be to have, to know that your daughter was going down there? It'd be hard to know, but at the same time, church, is God bigger than our fears? There's an old song. God is bigger than all our questions, bigger than all our fears. God is bigger than any mountain. Have you ever heard that? It's got a great little catchy tune. It was, I remember in the early, late 70s or early 80s, but it's basically, God is bigger than any mountains. God is bigger than any fear. Is he for you? The fear of doing the right thing, concerned about what others may or may not think. Because, oh, God forbid if someone talked bad about me on Facebook, wouldn't that be so terrible? Let the naysayers commence. If you're worried about people's perceptions and people's thought process about you, you I'm sorry, but you're going to be exhausted. I'm so thankful that I detoxed off Facebook all those years ago because I don't have to worry today about getting on there and doing something well-meaning. And how many times has someone gone in there doing something well-meaning and others just tore them apart? Didn't mean to do anything bad. They had a great motivation and a great this, that, and the other. I'll never forget one of the last days I was ever on Facebook. I went to a Bible dinner. Ready? The Gideon's Bible dinner for pastors and ministry leaders in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I'll never forget it. So, had a picture of us at the table for the dinner. Had a glass of iced tea and a glass of water. The water glass, you know what they look like in an iced tea? Somebody quips on there and goes, that looks like alcohol at the table. And I'll never forget it. I was distraught because under no circumstances would I ever have wanted some. Here I'm at a Bible dinner, the Wycliffe Bible dinner in Murfreesboro, and someone, instead of saying, praise God, to God be the glory, it's so awesome, the work they're doing, it, getting the God's word and missionaries all over the world. No, no. Looks like that uh, tea glass, it looks, looks like that in the water glass, like alcoholic beverages. You see, when you remember what Scripture talks about, they're going to always try to malign the way. They're going to always, the enemy is stealing, killing, destroying, continually trying to undermine everything that you are. You know what? You can't control what the world thinks, can you? There's nothing that you and I can do, but as long as you are living as a follower of Jesus Christ steadfastly, guys, doing everything, you might have to sometimes do what I had to do. I had to shut down an option and a, a, a gateway with which the enemy was destroying, trying to destroy me, trying to discourage me, from doing the right thing, if anybody remembers when I used to be on there, it's been so long ago, 15, I guess 15 years ago, 14 and a half years ago that I was on there. Put Bible verses on there. Never anything about personal, ever. Personal stuff's always biblically based. See? The attacks are always gonna come though. And that's why it's important, men. Sometimes you do something that you shouldn't do and guess what? That's what repentance, godly men welcome repentance, not only in the people that they minister to the shepherd of the home, but also your friends, the body of Christ. Very important to recognize a godly man welcomes repentance. Why? Because that's the essence of the gospel. We know what scripture says when it says, how many times in a day should I forgive? 
Hmm? Anybody know? You know how much that is? Let me just make it easy. A bunch. There's no limit to it. So if Jesus says that, what should that say to us? Godly men welcome repentance. It's like the old saying when there's, there's nothing like your old hometown, right? Oh, yeah, I remember what they used to be. That's just a show now. Been serving the Lord 30 or 40 years, right? Oh, no, I know who they really are. No, they don't. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. What do you know when somebody brings up your past and something that occurred long before you were a follower of Christ or four, five, ten years ago, you'd repented of something even as a Christian? You know it's from the enemy. What does his desire to do? Discourage you. Try to define you about who and what you were B.C. before Christ. But don't engage in that. If somebody comes and says a bunch of foolishness, don't think you've got to go run and write the world with their belief system about you. You know what I tell you to do? Let your testimony testify to who you are. You let the world keep talking, but you just keep serving the Lord. You keep honoring and glorifying the Lord because what will happen if you take the bait in that? You know what you'll do? You'll spend your days trying to defend rumors and speculation and all this stuff the world's going to do no matter what forever. By the way, just keep this in mind. I often say this. The person you're talked to today by, you are talked about by tomorrow. You get it? The one that talks to you today with the new fresh scoop is the one that talks about you tomorrow. So what should the focus be? In all things, him preeminent, you focus on you. You focus on glorifying and honoring and serving Christ. You focus on getting in your word. You focus on being a kingdom builder. And you don't worry about what anybody says about you because then you will not waste your time with one foot nailed to the floor, going around in circles, going nowhere fast, defending the indefensible. Because what? Scripture says the only thing we're supposed to be defending is what? The name. That's what we're supposed to defend. In the Bible, we're not even supposed to defend ourselves. God will do that for us. We've just got to remember, welcome the repentance in our lives. Those godly men do that, men. Learn that. Learn when you drop the ball to be able to apologize and to ask for forgiveness and then do what? Move forward. Ladies, if you have a man that repents or asks for forgiveness, don't the next time he's making a decision go, well, you remember that last time? Don't do that. That's not godly. God's going to honor you standing firm. You want to be a helpmate. You want to be a, a united front and a, a threat to the kingdom of darkness. You want to stand firm uh, does anybody in here ever make the right decisions every time perfectly? No, nobody does. But thankfully, we have Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will direct your paths. What that does is reduce the amount of foolishness that we inject ourselves into the context of it when we trust in him we lean not in our own understanding all of our ways we're acknowledging him everything's based on a biblical worldview your thought process you're delighting yourself in the lord he gives you the desire of your heart more of him god will grow you exponentially when you do what what scripture says what the word says again number one godly men are patient i would say that probably 99.9 percent .9 of us when we said that went ooh. We didn't start off good. 
Number two was godly men pray and rest in God's promises. So if you're patient, you pray and rest in God's promises, those one and two, put them together. If you're not doing it today, all you've got to do, Scripture says you have not because you ask not. You need patience? Go to the one who can give it to you. Same one that can give you faith. That's God. How does that happen? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. By the way, I want to encourage you to do some. Pray and ask him for it versus saying, God, teach it to me. Anybody in here want to learn patience? Exactly. You're all wise, well beyond your years. You know how God will teach you patience? He'll put you on your back and let you sit there for four years and teach you patience. And it's not the easy way. Pray and ask God, God, I know that I should be patient. I should be loving. I should be compassionate. I should be long-suffering. Father, I recognize that I'm not there. God, impart that wisdom to me. God, I want to be the man that you've created me to do. Be. Lord, I don't want you to teach me, Father, if at all possible, by my stubborn refusal to learn that willingly. God, I want to be the man of God that you designed me to be. And then third and final again, godly men welcome repentance. Just remember this, church. Godly men aren't born. They're grown. Godly men are not born. They're grown. Just like solid children who positively impact our communities, they're not born like that. It takes mothers and fathers and sometimes single mothers or single fathers and grandparents. And it's the old saying, it takes a village. I don't like to use that because the person associated with it, but it takes a village. It takes all of us to be a part of raising children to love and serve Jesus Christ. We have to be willing in our lives to be a part of something and raising children that are productive citizens that show up, that want to work, that care about their brothers and sisters and that care about and love the Lord. Those are not anomalies that just pop up. It takes men, women, families, brothers and sisters. It takes community pouring into these children. If you're not involved with another family here at church, if nothing else, in prayer with them, I want to encourage you to do that. Senior saints, I want to encourage you to do something. You have a lot of wisdom to pour in these younger people's lives, their hearts. I can't give you the one to do it. I know that you have a biblical commandment to do it, but I can't make you want to do it. If you want to be a vital part of some young person's life, make sure at the end of the service today or Wednesday night or Sunday morning, why don't you get together and say, hey, I want to just start praying. I want to shoot you a text. By the way, I don't text, and I'm going to learn how to text because I know that's the easiest way to connect with the younger person now because y'all don't have time to sit on the phone and say, hey, how are you doing? Fine. What's going on? And you go through all those niceties to end up asking them, hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? If you want to connect with a younger person, say, can I have your text message name? And then guess what, senior saint? I'll help you learn how to use a smartphone. I can teach you the wonders of voice texting. You can send them an entire novel, and it'll take you about 45 seconds to type it because you don't have to type it. It'll type it for you. But again, I cannot put the desire for you to want to be a part of helping encourage some of these younger mothers and fathers. I know for a fact I listen to them and I talk to them there's a lot of our younger 
parents in this church, they feel like they're just literally day and day, they're just trying to breathe. Fighting, just trying to, to take one step and to make it till nighttime, till the kids go to bed, until the next time that they wake up. I know that there's a lot of people in this church that are even older ones that could use the encouragement, but it takes you saying, I wanna, I wanna help wherever I can. If you need me to point out people who have children in this church, we have a ton of them. Let me know and I'll point them out for you and you can go then ask them. But if nothing else, send them a text a couple times a week. Pray for them. It doesn't take any time. It doesn't take any money. They throw in texting with your phone now so it's free. You might have to upgrade a phone. I'll help you get one cheap. But then you can get on that phone and you can start being the hands and feet of Jesus. And until you walk off into eternity, you can finish strong. You can run being a part of a vibrant ministry right now, which is the encouragement of young parents. How about our youth? Our, young, our youth need encouraged. If nothing else, pray for them. You might not want to text them because the optics of it. See them at church. Hey, I'm praying for you. You don't have to ask. They're not going to tell you, what, you know, yeah, I pray that God would give. No, most of them aren't going to say that to you. But just walk up to them and go, hey, grab them. Always do this because they always don't grab them hard, right? But just touch them and go, hey, I'm praying for you. You know how much that would mean to our young people? It would mean a bunch. Everybody in here can be involved in something. We can, oh, I can't come out here and work on helping you put the coating on the roof in about three or four weeks. That's fine. You can be as just vibrant of a, of a hand and foot of Christ by being involved in somebody's life here. You want to pray for me and encourage me? I'd enjoy that. I would be very thankful for those prayers. I would be very thankful for that text telling me you're praying for me the same way that you're encouraged when I do that with you. It takes all of us, amen? Dads, I always beat you up harder than I do our ladies because I want you to understand something. When we stand before God, you have a stubborn wife that won't listen as you wanna tell me, you're still gonna stand accountable for her. Do you know that? So I would be the leader that God's called you to do. I would be the man that's in God's word and praying because you're gonna stand accountable for it. But when you invite God to the party, you think that person that you believe is so stubborn that nobody can be taught or nobody can do anything with them? God can. So I would encourage you to get God invited to this arena so that God can bless what you think the mess is right now. Let God be in all things preeminent. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We pray that God's word has encouraged you. You feel like you've had fellowship and been at home with family. Today, if God has moved in your heart, and today you would like to make him not only the Savior, but the Lord of your life. First, it's important to know that we are sinners. We're born sinners. No one can bridge the gap that was separated when sin broke what God had created so beautifully. If today you know you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and you know that Jesus Christ was born, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay for your sin, Today, if you want to, you can trust him as your Lord and Savior. It requires you to pray and in faith, ask him to save you, to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you, and you want to live for him. I pray today, if you do that, that you will reach out to us. We would love to get you connected in a church body, a church home, wherever that might be, and get discipleship around you so you can grow in this new life that you found in Christ. Read God's word. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. God bless you.